and thank you so much for joining this episode of the ins and outs sponsored by our wiltshire based friends capietra who sell the most fine array of modern luxury stone and tiles for both your indoor and outdoor from classic limestone marble zelig tiles you can buy their tiles online at capietra.com or from a network of capietra retailers around the uk On today's episode, we are going to be talking morning routines, some advice from me on design fatigue, what you need to be doing out in the garden, picking sofas and a stupid question, or was it a stupid question? And of course, what's in and out this week from myself and Polly. Good morning, mate. Morning, mate. Indeed, it's morning. Tell me, what's the normal morning routine for you? Morning routine. Well, at the moment, hitting the snooze button about three times, dragging my sorry ass out of bed and then madly, frantically running around trying to get the kids ready for school and get myself ready. It's impossible to drag yourself out of bed at the moment, isn't it, when it's so dark? But invariably, whatever happens, if I'm taking the kids to school, it doesn't matter how early I get up, it's always a mad rush. They're always eating their toast in the car. You never know what you're going to get with kids, do you? You never know what mood they're going to be in. I find my littlest, if I have to wake Rocky up then she is the, uh, the devil child. Whereas if she just gets up in her own time, she's a total joy. <laughs> My kind of woman, much the same. Yeah, so I will get into that routine of, of getting up in the morning hitting the mat, doing my Pilates, doing a bit of meditation. It's so important. I, I feel so much better for it when I do. Yeah, actually, do you know what? Speaking of our resolutions from last week and exercise, the treadmill has arrived. Oh, your, tread, your treadmill arrived. It's a Peloton treadmill, which is very fancy but I I used to have the bike and I loved it but I got a bit bored of cycling and then uh, I've been thinking of you every evening as I wash my face oh gosh thank you (laughs) (laughs) no I'm obsessed I've got um I love Liz Earl and I've always when I have got round to washing my face use um the cleanse and polish not an ad just a fan um I love it. And, you know, with the nice, have you ever used it? You get the, um, you get like a nice cloth with it. Yeah, it's, I think it's the most important way to take your to makeup off, actually. I use, a, I use an oil cleanser every night with warm water. And I think it's just, oh, yeah, nothing beats it. I don't think to get all your makeup off. And how's that paper diary working out for you, pal? Oh, well, I left it in the bloody office yesterday, didn't I? I bloody left it in the office. <laughs> it was going, I have to say. So it's not really going well. <laughs> It's not, that's the only thing about these things. You've got to remember to take them with you, haven't you? It's just another thing to remember to carry with yeah. me. But I have to say, it has been going really well. And I really like it. I love that um, the habit of putting pen to paper and writing in the diary. It's I'm sticking to it. It's good. It's really good, apart from when I don't have it. But I'm getting When you it back keep tomorrow. it with you. When I keep it with me, it's good great. I have to say, that has been a bit of a game changer for me, that. I fully appreciate that. Well, I think we'll probably know more about our habits a couple of weeks in, whether we're really going to feel the difference. So let's stick at them. Anyway, look, January, it's a very busy time. We've got, well, we've got to address what we need to be doing in the house and garden, but we also have many questions to answer. So first of all, mm. what's been going on in the house? What have you been up to? It's all about work for me, January. It's, I'm fully immersed in our projects and work. And as you know, we have a home renovation of our own to do at some point yes. in some time when my money tree just will hurry up and grow. Um, but it's, it's not even just so much the money, it's the, thought of, it's the thought of it because it's such a big 
uptaking. I do this for a living, I know, um, is, you know, it's a huge amount of planning and getting it right. And I also have design paralysis where I sort of, there's so many options available to me that I can't mm. really, I'm almost putting it off because it, once I've done it, I've done it, which is quite daunting. It's actually interesting. We've had a question come in, which we will get to the questions later. But one of the questions was what to do when you get sort of decision fatigue, decision paralysis. Where do you go? What do you do on a project when you can't make your mind up? Um, that would, I mean, it would be, wouldn't so much be my professional advice because that would be get yourself an interior designer. <laughs> but if you yeah. can't do that and you're doing it yourself, and if I take myself as a case study, I would say go back to, go back to your concept. So hopefully you've built that concept that I always go on about and you have in your mind's eye a very clear picture of what you want it to look like and therefore you you want you don't want to keep deviating away from that you want to sort of stick to your original plan so if you have a really good concept plan together a presentation that you've made for yourself you should just be able to sort of hone back in on it because if you don't have that that's when you go like total scatterbrain and you start wanting a bit of this and a bit of that and oh my god I could have that and oh god I like that too and I like that too and I think you have to just keep honing it in because you can't have it all I think you get a feeling don't you get a feeling about something you know when you look at something and you just love it and it sits right it's a bit like when you're out shopping I guess same thing when you buy something new and if you really love it the likelihood is it you're going to love it forever so stick with that um if you're questioning it or you're just not sure or it's I just don't know then I would say it's probably not going to be the thing that you're going to you're not going to know you're not going to like it so give yourself time I suppose as well I mean it depends if you're working to to you know to a time frame to a program I guess as well if you're really up against it that can actually put more pressure on you and you can actually feel like you need to make design decisions quicker and that actually sort of sometimes makes you panic and therefore you might rush into a decision that you don't want to but I think just build that picture really get it down on a mood board do you know what pal something which I think is really interesting that you said that about if you love it and you think you should get it and it's true with shopping as well. The items that I am probably least excited about buying are the most timeless, as in white T-shirts. But I wear a white T-shirt almost every day um, and I love them. But I wouldn't say it was an exciting purchase. And it's sort of true with the interiors as well. It's um, I'm looking around my room right now and the things which have stood the test of time are the things which I'm arguably slightly less excited about but have been really solid investments. So it's an interesting one when you're doing the design, isn't it? Between, as we said last week, something like a really bold striped sofa. Right now, if you ask me, do you want a green striped sofa? I'd be like, yes, I do. But would I guarantee I want that in five or 10 years time? I don't know. Whereas, you know, if you go with a plain oatmeal, you're probably not going to have such a violent excitement. Well, it also, it, look, it totally depends. It depends on your taste as well, doesn't it? I and mean, it fully depends on your taste and what you're into and what you love. And if you're a bright, bold colour person or you're not. So it is very taste dependent. But exactly like we said last week, I think if you are making a really big decision and you're unsure about it, the likelihood is if you're buying that sofa and you think, God, I've seen this really cool. And you sent me a really cool chair the other day. Oh, my God, it was sexual. But and you love it love it love it and then you actually think god right i'm gonna buy it i'm gonna buy it and then you go to buy it and you think do i really want that and then you start questioning yourself so if that starts happening on a big purchase then 
I would say yeah, probably it's not really the right thing. What should we be doing in the garden in January? Because it's freaking freezing out there. Blimey. No one really wants to be out there right now, do they? It's cold. But you've got to get out there. You've got no, to do stuff. It, it's not a time. It's, I mean, yeah, it's freezing, isn't it? Particularly this week mm. with all these um, cold nights. But it is a really busy time in the garden. And uh, I feel like I've said this before, but it's the irony of gardening that it's actually these cold months that there's quite a lot to be done. Mm. And in the summer, there's a bit less to be done. Um so it's always a bit of a quieter time in terms of people thinking about their garden, but it's it's the time to do some stuff. So it's it's a really big pruning month, January and February. So if you have wisteria, which a lot of people do, now is when you'd prune it. So mm. with wisteria, you prune it twice a year, uh, January, February, and then again, July, August. And if you don't, you're going to get something out of like day of the triffids you know how crazy wisteria go in the summer where it's yeah. like getting into your gutters and your windows so you you trim it in summer to tame it and then you trim it now you bring it back from five buds which you will have done in july i hope back to two or three buds now and what that's going to do is keep it in check but also encourage flowering rather than a proliferation of leaves i've got to get up on the side of my house and do that yes you do like so how much from the wall should be sort of sticking out at this time of year when you pruned it are we talking like a little so every single one of those whippy shoots mm-hmm. that's like waggling around if whippy you and waggling great words and you waggling whippy and waggling <laughs> follow it all the way back until you get to where it kind of meets the junction you'll see on the stem there are these little brown buds you can't miss them they're like a little little brown pointy thing and so work all the way back till it hits the stem and then count one, two or three if you're scared and cut after the bud. That's all you're doing. So you're kind of working across the whole thing, taking it all back to three buds. Um, in fact, one of the questions, I think it was from Christy, actually was whether you can prune older wisteria quite hard. Um, and you absolutely can. You can do a more severe prune. Um, so as with all pruning, you're going to take off all dead, diseased and damaged growth. You're going to do that with everything, not just wisterias. Um, but you can cut back whole sections of the wisteria to uh, a strong branch or shoots lower down. Um, or, I mean, you can even take some of the branches down to ground level if you want to be really drastic. Um, but the key really is just to make sure that you plan which branches and shoots you wish to keep. Um, and you're aiming to make just a really healthy, open framework with spaced out branches. So now is the time to be doing that with your wisteria. But it's also time to prune lots of other things. You've got roses need pruning in January and February, deciduous trees and shrubs as well. So trees that lose their leaves, now's the time to do it. Apple and pear trees as well. So there is much pruning to be done. So it's worth investing in a good pruning saw and getting outside on a preferably not soaking wet day mm. just because you'll get wet and cold not because there's anything wrong with pruning in the rain let's dive into some questions from our innies and outies and I'm going to kick off with an innie question from Sophie how do you make a living room feel together when there isn't a fireplace as a center point oh that's a good one so much like in the garden uh, that I've learned from you you need focal points presumably let's just let's just say you've got a room that's four walls it's about the placement of your furniture. So you would want where your chimney breast would have been if if you would have a fireplace. Replace it with something like a sideboard or indeed a big media unit with a, with a TV in. You want to create a focal point that's around 
your sort of seating area. So you've got your sofa, you've got your chairs, you've got your central coffee table, you've got your lovely rug that it sits on. And then really on the wall where if there was to be a fireplace, you have your media unit TV that wants to just feel that that sort of replaces it. I don't think I, I don't think a living room necessarily needs a fireplace to feel cosy. I think it's what you put in it that makes it feel warm and inviting. But I think just consider what it is on that wall. Um, I, I do think sometimes when you walk into a living room that doesn't have a fireplace and it doesn't have any built in joinery, it could almost be it could almost be anything. It could be a bedroom. So I think you want something that's quite solid. So whether it be a big sideboard with your TV mounted above it or it be a bookcase that you have your sort of your TV or, you know, in. But I think it needs to be something fairly large on that wall mm. um, to make it feel substantial enough to make it feel like a sort of nice living room. For me, that's quite important. I wouldn't just have a room with loose furniture in. It sort of feels like it needs something a bit more structured, needs something solid, um, a bit more weighty. But for me, that would be my number one thing. There was something on social media over Christmas, some very famous designer whom I forget the name of, saying... My number one goal is to make sure there isn't a television in a living room or a visible television. Um, Which is a bit shaming. I think most people have televisions in their living room. Not all, but most. I'm a very realistic person when it comes to design. I don't know. I've I've never had a client come to me and say, well, unless it's a house big enough that they've got a snug and a playroom and a living room. Sure. And then we absolutely have a living room that doesn't have a TV because that's then not a problem. But you can then design living rooms and drawing rooms and snugs and playrooms very differently and some have tvs and some don't that's a very different thing but in most cases people want to watch televisions um in their living room and therefore i'm not snobby about it i'm not snobby about about tvs i'm not snobby about them being over mantelpieces i think as long as they are designed well and they don't just look like a giant black box stuck on a wall then i'm i have no qualms about putting tvs in living rooms and i do you try and hide them? Do you box them in? Or no, put... if anything, I would, I, would, I, don't... I would recommend people go down the route of using like art TVs. I, I'm not one for boxing in TVs, okay. only because I just think it's a faff to have to sort of open it up and close it. I do think put them on an arm wherever you can. Put them on the wall and put them on an arm. I don't like TVs on stands sitting on furniture. Um, I never think that looks great. I think get it on the wall and then it's you can put things around it. You put your books around it and you put you know your... your ornaments and you dress it nicely um then therefore you don't really see the tv because it's everything else in the room that is speaking instead of it but yeah at the end of the day a living room is for living in and it's for relaxing in and it's for coming home after a long day and if you want to sit and watch tv then put a tv on the wall i'm not i'm not no i'm not not fussy about that i will always try and work it into a design for clients i've got another any question for mm. you okay and this is from emily what is the best light to have over my dressing table Thank you, Emily, for asking this, because I've inherited this sort of slightly unusual, but actually very useful dressing table in in my room, which is sort of part of a built-in cupboard. And it's got spotlights at the top. And I look like I'm dying every time I do my makeup. So I can't wait to hear the answer for this one. Well, I am, as you know, I think I've made this very clear. I really don't like downlights in most cases, almost anywhere. Mm. Um, Overhead lights have a place um they just are not needed over bathroom cabinets bathroom mirrors anywhere where you're looking at your reflection you do not want an overhead light above your head 
The reason being is that it casts mm. a shadow down your nose. You'll see if you put a light above your head, you get this sort of like ghouly look where you get this sort of black shadows under your eyes and then cast a shadow down between your nose and your mouth. It is so, so unattractive, impossible to do makeup. You're constantly sort of tilting your head up to the light. So what you always want in a dressing room or indeed in a bathroom is that you want front facing lights. So always have lights on either side of the mirror and that will light your face from the front. Um, it's fine if there's a central yes. light in the room, but and and indeed, if you want like extra light in the room for when you come to clean the room, a lot of people like down lights in rooms so that they can see when they're cleaning. I get that. So just make sure you put things on separate, you know, um, or indeed, if it looks nice, like if you've got a lovely little pendant light that looks really pretty over a dressing table, um, then great. But put it on a separate circuit so that you can turn it off and you can just have your front facing lights on when you're doing your makeup. Um, another consideration, of course, when you're doing a dressing uh, in front of a dressing table, um, you want really to have your dressing table in front of a window because the natural light is the best light to be able to obviously see your face and have it lit up naturally. So if that's possible, try and put your dressing table in front of a, in front of a window and during the day that will give you the best possible light, um, natural light. But otherwise, try and get something on, on the wall. And if you can't do that then get something that's on the dressing table, like a light that has, you know, is able to really light your face up um, from all angles. But overhead lights, over dressing tables are just a no. Big fat no. Excellent tip. Thank you, Val. Polly, I've got a question here for you from an outie. Magpie Girl is asking, oh, I like that, Magpie Girl. What should I replace a box parter with? A box parter? What's a parter? A parter. What should I replace a box parter with? Box parterre is um, a sort of low-level uh, box hedge. You'll see them in if you go to somewhere like Hampton Court or Stately Homes, or it's it's that low-level hedge, which is usually quite ornamental, usually quite symmetrical. And it sort of essentially acts as a as a boundary around a, a flower bed. I know exactly what it is now. Yeah. So yes, as as we well know, box is tricky for two reasons blight but also caterpillar and Mm. it's rare that we come across a garden where one or t'other hasn't impacted them now as I've said before we don't use box anymore although there are some more resilient box in the works so it all is not lost in the future and if you're willing to spray with a non-chemical solution then you can keep your box going but if you're looking to replace it my preferred favorite would be euonymus it looks very similar um, the leaves tend to be slightly larger than box, but not a lot. So something like Euonymus Green Spire is a nice choice. It's um, it, it will do the same job. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Got another one for you here. Um, this is from the 31 Home. Uh, this outie wants to know, is artificial grass ever OK? So as a studio, we won't anymore. We, we used to, way back when, um, put in the odd artificial lawn but now we categorically won't do it and much of the industry won't either I hate it it's essentially putting a plastic carpet in your garden it's terrible for wildlife it's terrible for your soil it's it's definitely not adding anything back into the environment I do understand there are occasions where people want it where they have a very very small space and want a little bit of artificial turf because lawn wouldn't thrive um I always try and encourage instead that then you don't have a lawn, have more planting Mm. instead. Um, There is this sort of obsession with having a lawn that sometimes if your garden is so small, it can't fit a lawn in. I would say don't have a lawn, 
have more planting instead if you can. And I know people get very cross with me and say they need space for their child to play. But there are different ways of having a having a play space for your kids without an artificial lawn. The The one thing I would say here is if you have one already, if you inherit an artificial lawn, it is a difficult question to ask whether you remove it because it's already there. And I don't want to see that going to landfill. It's ruinous for biodiversity. It's um, essentially made of plastic. The shelf life is about 10 to 20 years and it's not like it can be reused sometimes it can be recycled Mm. um it's actually also incredibly annoying in terms of cleaning i mean if you've got animals it is not a sanitary option um because you're essentially putting a carpet outside and so trying to clean that in any way can you tell i really hate artificial yes um so my answer is wherever possible i would really 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 avoid it okay jojo this uh question is actually making me cringe but um nick wants to know what is your opinion on faux olive trees indoors well interestingly the answer might surprise you i know you don't like an olive tree at the best of times or you do but in sort of certain in mediterranean climates but um there is a place there is a place for faux olive trees (laughs) inside um you can now get some pretty remarkable faux olive trees I am not one for promoting something that is obviously plastic I would always say go for the real deal but equally I think if you can't keep something alive and the conditions inside are not right for a real tree then of course like in a basement I mean it's never going to survive is it then to get that look of green inside a house I would say go for it because there are so many good faux olive trees around you have to spend the money though my god we we recently did a um a house with a uh, an indoor pool and we put two faux olive trees in there and they were these beautiful gnarly olive trees and they were faux and they were about 850 pounds each so you might be like oh my god that's extortionate but the look of them they they looked incredible so i think I don't think you can pop down your local garden centre and pick up a fake olive tree for 25 quid and expect it to look good because it won't. So in general, overarching answer is no, I don't like them. But I think there's a place if it's a basement or indeed you have a pool or an area where it's got no natural light and they're never going to survive and no tree or plant is going to survive. Then I would say, yes, go for an olive tree because I do think they look lovely in the right pot and the right um, setting. But you're going to have to spend the money on getting it to look good. I've got one here for you, Paul. It's a stupid question. There is no such thing as a stupid question, my friend, Gabby. There is no such Mm -hmm. thing as a stupid question. Uh, Her stupid question, she says, is when you say north facing, are you standing with your back to the house and a compass facing away? Yeah, this, do you know what? My brain still boggles. It's funny, isn't it? Because you think, so it's not a stupid question. Should we do the segment? I think we should do the segment every, every week. Should we do like a... A stupid question that's not stupid. Yes. What should we call it? Let's call it, let's do something like that. Yes. Except none of your questions are stupid, as Jojo says. You know, bring it. Bring the most basic, the most... Yeah. We, we want them. We want them all. This one still boggles my mind. For some reason, my brain just doesn't work um, in a way. I always, always, every new garden I have, I have to get my phone out, stand with my back to the house, get my compass out to figure out which way it faces. Because, you know, someone will go, oh, the sun's over there. I'm like, cool, I still need my compass. It's just, so yes, you are completely correct. If you want to find out which way your garden faces, go outside of it with your back to the wall, back to the house, 
get your compass out or your iPhone with your compass out. And what is, it's not what's behind you, it's what's in front of you. So as I'm holding mine right now and I'm pointing mine to my garden, the, what I'm looking at is S, south. So I know that my garden is south facing. So it's the letter that you're looking at, which tells you what you are facing. I mean, the clue is in the facing, isn't it? The the clues in the word I know, but I think that's quite a... Yeah, but it still boggles my mind. So if there's an N at the end of your compass, at the end of your phone, you're north facing, east, west. So not a stupid question at all. I still have to do it every time because my brain just will not calibrate in that way. Interestingly... If you're buying a sofa and it has a chaise and it's either a right-hand chaise or a left-hand chaise. Now, if you were looking at the sofa and you were buying a right-hand chaise, which way would you say that that was coming off from? Do you mean a chaise? Do you mean like the leg resty bit, like an L-shaped sofa? Yeah, the L-shape. So the bit that sticks out. Would you? I would. If you said right-hand chaise, I'd expect it to be the right-hand side, which had the long bit that you could put your legs on. No, but so so you have a right. You can choose the sofa, and it can have a right one that yeah. comes out the right side, or one that comes out the left side. Yeah. Would you say it's going to be if you're looking at the sofa, or if you're sitting on the sofa that oh. is right or left? I'd imagine as if you were sitting on it. That's got that's right? that's got us stuck a few times in the past. It's not. It's if you're looking at the sofa. <gasps> it's a left-hand no! face. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that can, I bet the amount of designers out there that have had a sofa or somebody that's had a sofa turn up and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so it's as you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Oh, good yeah. tip. Well, speaking of sofas, my friend, speaking of sofas, I've got an any question for you from Caroline. What are your top tips for picking a sofa? I'm talking size, style, colour and fabric. Number one thing I would always say, maximize the size of your sofa where possible. I think it's so easy to think to go a bit mean with a sofa, but actually plan it out. First of all, first off, really sort of think about the space. You want a sofa that's really if you're you're going to be sitting on it and it's a chilling sofa and it's a TV watching sofa, it wants to be about a meter deep. A lot of sofas come at about 90 centimeters deep and that's just not enough really to sort of sit and sort of really slouch and curl up in. So it wants to be sort of a meter 110 in depth if it's the if it's for TV viewing and snuggling up on. And then the size of the sofa, just try try and maximise the size because sometimes you go into rooms and the sofa just always looks a bit diddly, it looks a bit mean. Um, just go that extra 10, 20 centimetres. As for the colour, it, again, it depends on how you live. It depends on who lives in the house with you. If you've got dogs, if you've got cats, if you've got little ones that are going to claw it, you know, pan little paws all over it. That will determine what colour you want it to be. Um, I tend to say that, I mean, uh, for me... Number one go-to sofa colour for us is obviously going to be oatmeal, uh, never grey, um, because like I've spoken about it before, it's a it's a fun sponge. Um, oatmeal sofa because then you can bring colour in. So if you don't want to go, if you don't want to sort of you know go all out on a colour sofa, then you can bring all that colour and you know pattern and um, character in on cushions. Um, so oatmeal is always a go-to, but otherwise I would say olive green is always one of my favorite color sofas hard to find off the shelf though really good olive green that sort of color getting that really mm. right and then style it really depends what what you're after i mean style that's a little bit like it it depends what your what your vibe is what the living room looks like the other bits of furniture that you've got that's very dependent i wouldn't be able to answer that one but it's such a big purchase such an important purchase one thing i would always say like with beds, like with mattresses, it's the one place I always encourage people to please spend money. Don't go cheap. Know what it's made of. Know where it's come from. You know, you want something that's sort of ideally UK made um, and it's got sort of a mix of feather and um, 
and foam in the cushions that doesn't sort of slip off the front that we've seen in so many high street sofas. Um, and it will remain and it'll keep its shape. Do you shape. know a lesson I learned the hard way, pal, was uh, armrests. Mm. That you want um, one? Or you I don't? once bought a sofa and the armrests mm. were so low that it meant it was a very kind of, you had to sort of sit up it was a very it ended up being a very formal sofa you couldn't lounge on it because the armrests weren't such that you could kind of slouch you would you were sort of yeah it arms, was very I, erect I think arms are important on and i sofa. don't want an erect mm. sofa no so um some things need to be erect. valuable then. we like them being erect other things not so much kate uh an outie is asking when should i mulch when should i mulch i love this mm. so mulching is any kind of well-rotted organic material so something we use a lot is mushroom compost which isn't made of mushrooms it's compost that mushrooms have been grown in um any sort of garden compost or bark chips or it could be leaf mold which is when it's very well rotted leaves and why you do it is to enrich your soil so that mulch not only is going to improve your soil but it's also going to suppress annual weeds and it's going to help with water retention as well in the summer So most people say to mulch in spring, uh, but I personally like to do it a bit earlier. I like to do it January, February. And the reason I like to do it then is because I find it much easier to do. The bulbs will go through it. And also so will your perennials. If you wait until March, April, which loads of people do and you absolutely can, it just makes it more fiddly because you can't dump mulch over growing plants. You have to have them you have to sort of go round it. So obviously January, February, your borders are emptier. Uh, don't worry, plants will grow through, but you cannot dump it on top of growing leaves. That's They're not going to love that. So any time from now through to sort of March, April, really. Great. Thanks, Paul. Final question for you, Jojo. And this one is a doozy. I'm excited to hear the answer mm-hmm. to this one. What window treatment do you use with a window which has a radiator under it? Which is a lot of windows, right? Because oh, I know how you feel about floating curtains. It's just one of my favourite questions. And that's from Alex. I, lo- I love this question because there is such this really funny misconception about having... There's, there's a really funny misconception about needing to keep your radiator under a window exposed at all times. So I'm going to just say, in general, you tend to... Turn, do you not turn your heating off at night? Did, I'd say 95% of people turn their heating off at night. Would you not agree? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So say you've got your radiator on and it's positioned underneath your window. You can have a full length pair of curtains hanging down to the floor if there's a radiator under your window. You're closing your radiator. You tend to close your win- your curtains at night. So it doesn't matter that they're closing over the, the, the front of a radiator I think too many people worry about the heat coming out from a radiator. If Also, it depends on the age of your house. If it's a very, very old house and you have radiators under all your windows, you have radiators under your, on, on your windows because obviously all that cold air is coming through the window and from the wall and the, heat, the radiator has to heat it. So naturally, that's where it needs to be. At night, you want to close your, your, you close your curtains and therefore it's closing on top of your radiator. And a lot of people then worry that the heat can't, come out of the radiator and it's not going to warm the room fully understand that but that's not an excuse to then go and rush out and get short curtains just think about when you're using that radiator for me I just I I just can't bear the look of short curtains I just think they look like they've had a fight with the floor and they've just run out of fabric and (laughs) I think they are just 
unnecessary. If you really don't want to go with long curtains because you think, do you know what, actually, Jojo, you're wrong. I have my radiators on all night and I close my curtains on top of them and therefore it's a huge waste of heat and then get a Roman blind. Have a Roman blind above the window outside the recess to let all that lovely light in and let the radiator do its magic and do its work. Also, just a quick tip. If you are thinking of getting underfloor heating, before you go pulling all your radiators out from underneath your windows, consider whether you need to keep them because a lot of houses don't have insulated walls. The cavities aren't insulated. Mm. And if they're not and you suddenly remove that radiator from under the window, even with underfloor heating, you're going to have a cold patch around your window or your walls are going to feel cold. Oh, interesting. The, the radiator is serving a purpose, so just make sure you've got well-insulated walls before you dash out and think, oh, underfloor heating in an, in, in an old property if you're doing a renovation. Good tip. So I think we've come to the end of our questions, my friends. So all that remains is to ask you what's in and what's out. Well, I'm going to go with um, leather stretchy trousers by All Saints. They're bloody brilliant. They're really comfy and they've got like a padded lining. That's delicious. Can I tell you my in? Go on, give me your Which in. is related to that. Mini eggs. They're back in the supermarket. Oh. Mini eggs are my crack. I'm so excited. They are, I mean, it's not very conducive to the old uh, project twig exercise, is it? But my God, I love mini Try eggs. Try putting mini eggs anything. in the fridge as well. They're so delicious and better. They go crunchier. Mini, cold mini eggs. Mm. Oh, do you think? No, I, oh, yeah. I quite like, I like them warm. So that's my oh. in. Uh, but okay. I guess I could wear them whilst wearing stretcher, stretchy leather leggings. So my out is... A good portion of my wardrobe, I've had a really big clear out after talking to you last mm. week. Capsuling. I've got rid of a lot of... Yeah, capsuling is exactly it. The classics have stayed and some of the sort of trendier pieces, I guess, like things with very frilly collars and stuff, have, have gone. I just think I want it to be a cleaner silhouette. It's all gone to the charity shop and I feel so much freer. Good. Um, what's out for me? Gosh, I can't, I haven't really thought about my out this week. My long hair, I'm about to go and get a haircut. So I'm actually going to get a real snip. So what's out is long, <gasps> what's out is my really long, scraggly, homeless hair. Well, that's another, that's a wrap on another episode of the ins and outs. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, write a lovely review, keep your not lovely reviews to yourself and share it with your friends and your mum and your work colleagues. And frankly, anyone that you meet on the street. Now our working day starts. Shall we uh, go and get some oh, actual work done? Go and do some work, will you? Go and do some work. Yes. You know, get out there. Yes. Yes, go I shall. the day. Car- right. Carpe Love DM. Toodaloo. Alvida Zen. Goodbye. Oh, I'm copying that DM. Love you. Bye-bye. Alvida Zen. Goodbye. So long. Farewell. That one. Alvida Zen. Goodbye. Love you. Adieu. Adieu. To you and you and you and you. Toodaloo. 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 Toodaloo.